You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're on the other side of the Major League All-Star break, or at least sort of. We will be by the time you hear this, and we welcome you into the, uh, I guess, official second half of the uh, the baseball season in 2017 in this week's edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast from MILB.com. It's the show before the show. I am Tyler Mont. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. That's accurate, right? Like, we're over halfway through all the minor leagues with the exception of short season leagues. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing that always gets tricky with yeah. me is that I always think like, yeah, it's uh, it's literally the midsummer classic. Like that's I, you know, you go from thinking your entire life about this week being the middle point of ma- baseball season, and then we cover the minors, and all of a sudden you realize there's really only a month and a half left of minor league baseball before playoffs start. Yeah, jeez, Louise, that's crazy. Yeah, so like huh. as much as we're still thinking about, you know the. By the time you hear this, the AAA All-Star Game will have happened on Wednesday. Right. The Eastern League All-Star Game will have happened on Wednesday. So there's still All-Star Games, and all the short-season leagues have their All-Star Games and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like things are grinding to a halt or already looking at magic numbers or anything like that business. But it's just such a different world than what you typically think of for the yeah. majors. Yeah. Um, you know, seasons will be ending by the time we're th- everybody else is thinking about roster expansion in September. It's crazy crazy man um so we are not yet in the stretch run but we're like in the stretch run to the stretch run i guess we'll put it that way and uh with that we say hello thanks for finding the show before the show wherever you did we appreciate it we are on itunes and the stitcher app we are now on google play of course as we have let you know over the last couple of weeks so if you're an android user and you would much rather be on google play rather than on stitcher or wherever else you found us now you can uh this is episode number 118 of the show before the show and wherever you do find us give us a rating and a review and a subscribe if you would be so kind and uh, get in touch with us podcast at milb.com is the email address and sam's on twitter at sam dykes or milb i am at tyler mon and let's kick things off as we do weekly three strikes get started this week with uh one leg of the major league all-star break and that was the mlb all-star futures game which was sunday at marlins park in miami the united states raced out to a seven nothing lead and then held on for a seven six victory over the world team but a really really big star from the u.s brent honeywell looked terrific he claimed futures game mvp honors our futures game mvp was sam who was on site tell us about the uh, 2017 futures game yeah it was kind of a fun atmosphere just be as it always is every year it was fun to actually be there this year um as, as always it begins with batting practice and i think there's just so much hype around that um being able to see these guys when they can just let loose there is no futures home run derby as much as we would all love to see that um so it, it's kind of that version of it just seeing these guys when they're not going up against 95 mile an hour fastballs. Um, so I, I got to see more power from Corey Ray than I thought I would. Um, getting to see Yohan Mankata bat from both sides of the plate was a lot of fun. Uh, Eloy Jimenez hit one that I saw that went beyond what I'm calling the Dinger Whirly gig, uh, whatever you want to call that, the home run structure with the the dancing fish and all that kind of stuff. It's called a fidget part. spinner. Yeah, that's it. It's the original fidget spinner. That's definitely <laughs> the it. most expensive fidget spinner. Anyway, Eloy Jimenez hit one all the way out there that bounced off the wall beyond that. That was really cool. Um, so getting to see batting practice was neat. Uh, but once the game kind of took hold, uh, it, it was interesting to, that I think somebody tweeted at me around the seventh or eighth, who was your MVP? And as exciting as a, a game as it was, at that point, it was, uh, I think, 7-4 the U.S. had led. So decent amount of runs, especially for an all-star game. Uh, there wasn't one standout offense per- performer uh, to that point. There were no home runs in the game, not that many extra base hits. Uh, the big story was kind of just guys throwing gas. I mean, Michael Kopech hit 100 miles an hour, I think, on five different pitches, at least 100 miles an hour on at least five pitches. Bo Burrows was really... Fun to see. I think he struck out both Rafael Devers and Ahmed Rosario on that world team and a perfect inning for him. Um, Brent Honeywell, as Tyler mentioned, was the MVP. Just be kind of de facto in the way that he was the only pitcher to go two innings. He looked great, struck out four batters, only gave up one hit to Devers on a on a first pitch. Uh, uh, the first pitch he threw to Devers to 
open the second inning. Uh, he only threw one screwball, which everybody who doesn't really follow the minors that much who was there in the press box was kind of like, well, why'd you only throw one? And he said, you know, I, I decided I was going to throw one. And if it was really good, which it was, it was fantastic to Alex Verdugo. Absolutely froze him. Uh, that, you know, I, that was it. I was just going to throw the one and I'm not going to try to become too flashy and too reliant on it and all that. I talked to Chan Sisko, who was the team US catcher. He said, I called for the screwball a couple of times, got sh- shaken off because uh, Sisko has gone against Honeywell. Obviously, they both play in the International League. He wanted to finally catch the pitch, didn't want to have to try to hit it every time now. Uh, but he got shook off most of the night because Honeywell decided, you know what, I just want to do it once, threw it near perfectly. Uh, like I said, absolutely froze her Dugo. Um, but he's obviously shown more than that. He showed a pretty good changeup, um, was hitting the high 90s with his fastball in that limited look. Um, so he was kind of the real standout performer. But that off, the U.S. offense was just very consistent throughout. All starting nine members of the U.S. roster got at least one hit. Uh, the only person to get two hits on the U.S. roster was hometown hero Brian Anderson, who started the game at DH, moved to third base. Uh, he's in the Marlins system at Double A. He's certainly not at the level as somebody like a, a Lewis Brinson or a Derek Fisher or a Reese Hoskins, the guys who were forming the meat of that U.S. lineup. But he took advantage of the big stage. Um, I, I spoke to Derek Fisher. He said it was really fun to hit in that lineup because you got to see Nick Gordon set the table, uh, and he was just following the lead of Nick Gordon and Lewis Brinson. And you don't get to do that every day. Uh, Fisher had. A, a triple in or excuse me a double in the game cisco had a triple um so you, you got to see these guys feeding off each other they were they talked after the game about how they were all sharing information on what the pitchers had uh i, I can't remember who exactly said it, it might have been kyle tucker uh but you kind of know everybody in the game is going to be throwing upper 90s uh it's just what is their other stuff they're working with is it is it a cutter is it a sinker what's their change up position kind of look like um on the world side, uh, the standout for me was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, you walked into that clubhouse before the game and were told one of these guys is 18 year old or is 18 years old. Go find him for me. You would not have picked Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Just the way he's built, his size, uh, his stature in that in that clubhouse. He looked like he was belong, or he looked like he belonged uh, both physically and just socially. Uh, the way he was talking it up with everybody, the the confidence he kind of carries with him. And then uh, into the game, he had two singles, uh, also struck out, but scored two of the world team runs. Um, did not look phased at all uh, in his four at-bats in the game. He started at DH, eventually moved to third base as well. Um, so to see him on that stage, it's definitely probably, well, I sh- shouldn't say definitely, probably. I'm going to go out on the limb and say it's definitely not going to be his last Futures game. Uh, he is in Class A advanced to need, and we'll get into that a little bit later here in three strikes. But uh, he's just so young. He's going to become such a talent. I know there are some prospect sites that are saying he's a top 10 prospect now. Imagine what's going to happen as he climbs the ladder. He is going to be the Yohan Mankata of this event. Uh, Mankata was last year's MVP, uh, led off for the world team this time. You know, have one of the biggest gaggles of the reporters in the clubhouse before the game. Uh, that's going to be kind of Guerrero's future if he continues to hit as he did. For him to take the stage like this, uh, obviously no stranger to a major league field. You know, he's been around his dad. There's that famous picture of him in a little Expos uniform watching his dad uh, before a game. Um, but for him to shine on this stage was was really cool. Um, you know, kind of wish we got to see a little bit more offensive potential, something like. Uh, you know, like I said, last year, Mankata homered, Eloy Jimenez homered the year before that. Kyle Schwarber was the MVP because he hit an RBI triple. Uh, didn't quite get to see that. The pitchers were a little bit ones who stood out a little bit more, even in a 7-6 game like this, uh, just because of the velocity they were allowed to flash. Uh, but the consistency of both offenses, uh, when you know from one to nine, I mean, the number nine hitters in this game were Brendan Rodgers and Francisco Mejia, two of the best hit tools in all of minor league baseball, full stop. Um, and I think a little bit of that, to be honest with you, a little bit of that has to do with, I think, uh, in you know, kind of wrong lineup uh, construction. But still, being said, that speaks to the uh, consistency of both lineups. Uh, and they were be able to show it. Even if nobody re- was really standing out, there were only three guys with multiple hits. 
uh, Anderson, like I mentioned, Guerrero, and Tomas Nito, Mets prospect, uh, who came in for Francisco Mejia. He had two hits and two RBIs. Um, but still, you know, to see all these guys on the field uh, together, they all knew the opportunity that they had, uh, whether it was pitchers trying to throw as hard as they could, show off their stuff, whether it was hitters who all said, listen, I'm not here to – to casually go about this game. I'm here to show off what I'm capable of. And they all wanted to go up there swinging and take their hacks. Uh, it was really cool. Uh, two defensive plays that stood out. Brendan Rogers got started second base. We know that's not really his natural position. He has played a little bit of that the past couple of years in the Rocky system. Uh, he made an absolute stellar kind of rodeo snag yeah. at second on a ball that I think had an exit velocity upwards of hundred miles an hour. I think it might've been one Oh six. Um, but double check me on that. Uh, so he just made an absolute stellar play on that against Josh Naylor uh, at second base. So after I saw him earlier this year in Hartford, he made three errors in that game. For him to make that play just tells you, you know, he he is a good fielder. Don't worry about some of these off games. That he, he got over have. the nerves of playing in front of Sam Dykstra. Well, saying. obviously that's what it was, yeah. I think it was me and the Hartford hometown crowd that really got to him. No, that's not at all. Nobody's worried <laughs> about that game. It was just a one stupid game that I happened to be at. Um and then Ryan McMahon, who was also not playing at really his natural position at first base, uh, went into the, I think it was the world dugout, uh, to make a grab over the side of the railing, yeah. uh, which was really neat to see. Um, so, again, just so much talent in this game. If you ever get a chance to, to see it live, uh, whether it's on TV, whether it's in person, um, know that you know these guys know what they're up against. They know the opportunity that they have, and they really enjoy taking to it um, and showing off what they have. So uh, pretty solid all around, even if it wasn't the best game in terms of here's a moment I'm going to remember forever. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of these guys can take what they did in this Futures game projected forward over the second half. Speaking of Brendan Rodgers, he played at second base and got the start there for the United States. The uh, young man who came in to relieve Brendan Rodgers at second base was the Philadelphia Phillies number 11 prospect, Scott Kingery, and Phillies fans. We will have Scott Kingery coming up on the show here in just a little bit, so stick around for that. Um, the Futures game is always one of the most entertaining uh, days of the year for those of us who are on the prospect nerd side, and it just shows you – I mean – the fact that the U.S. was up 7 nothing after four innings and this turned into a one-run game, it's such an even level of talent on both of these squads, and it's so ridiculously talent-laden on both of these squads, too. But it was a, a whole ton of fun to watch on Sunday for the 2017 MLB All-Star Futures game in Miami. Strike two this week. We have moved, uh, like we were talking about, to basically the midway point of all the minor league seasons with the exception of the short season leagues. Uh, at the end of the year, we hand out our best in minor league baseball, our Milby Awards. Um, Sam, what sticks out to you about maybe some award-winning performers from the start of this season? Yeah, so um, these are by no means official. I just kind of did a tool shit on this because we like to check in. Uh, it is kind of de facto awards week in baseball, I guess. Um, you know, Aaron Judge is a home run derby champ. He gets a trophy for that. Uh, Robinson Cano is the all-star game MVP. He gets a trophy for that. Brent, Brent Honeywell gets a trophy for being Futures Game MVP, and he said that's his first ever MVP award. So uh, he's trying to decide what to do with that trophy. Uh, he said he, his parents might have to do rock, paper, scissors to decide who gets it. We'd love to see that happen. Um, so while we're just thinking about awards, we might as well think about our own awards, which are the Milby Awards, uh, and just kind of checking in for – who seems to be the favorites for those um, top offensive player of the year so far? I have Bo Bichette. Uh, we'll get into him again a little bit later. We're going to talk about blue, some Blue Jays prospects in strike three. Uh, but just to lay out what he's done this year, 378 average, 444 OBP, a 196 WRC plus, all of which are tops in uh, minor league baseball among full season hitters. He also ranks among the top five in doubles, OPS, slugging percentage, and uh, extra base hits. So, um, you know, he's just really taken off in this first full season for him. Only 19. He was a second round pick out of the Blue Jays last year. Uh, he's since been pr promoted to Class A advanced to Neiden. Uh, the reason why that feels a little bit like a disappointment, and again, I'll, I'll get more into this in a little bit, but uh, he had a chance to almost come close to breaking some records in the Midwest League. Uh, the Midwest League record for average is 409 was sent by Deacon Jones in 1956 when he played for Dubuque. Uh, that seemed a little far out, although there were definitely times this year when Bichette was hitting above 400. Uh, but he could have eclipsed you know, the best mark since then 
Uh, ben Revere hit 375 uh, in 2008, and that's the highest mark in the last six decades. So there was a chance that Bichette could have, you know, threatened that that record, I guess, the modern day record uh, in the Midwest League. But that's not going to happen because the Blue Jays, as they do, they want him to to get a challenge. So they bumped him up to the Florida State League. Uh, top starting pitcher, I have Corbin Burns. Uh, again, uh, one thing I want to stress with these two that I feel like might get misunderstood a little bit. I'm not saying these are the top prospects exactly. I'm just saying who has performed the best this year. Uh, and that's basically based mostly on stats. Uh, so Corbin Burns leads all full season pitchers in ERA with 1.06 and FIP at 2.25. Uh, he's also second among minor leaguers with a 0.83 whip and sixth with a 178 average against. That's one heck of a resume. Uh, you lead the both all well. You lead all of the minor leagues in both ERA and FIP, and you're definitely a shoe in for this award, I think. Uh, but he's also struck out batters at a good clip, 26.1%. Uh, he's kept the ball in the zone really well, 5.8%. He's only allowed one home run this season. And it, the cool thing for me is that his ERA at both Class A Advanced Carolina and Double A Biloxi are almost exactly the same. Uh, 1.05 in 60 innings at Carolina, 1.06 in 45 and two-thirds innings at the higher level at Biloxi. Uh, so he's in the driver's seat for stop, top starting pitcher. Uh, breakout prospect, I have Scott Kingery. Uh, you'll hear more about him in our interview later that I got with him down in Miami at the Futures game. Um, but, you know, for most Phillies fans, they knew Kingery a little bit. He, he is their number 11 prospect right now. He's definitely going to climb when those – Prospect lists are updated. Uh, he was a pretty good hitter. He's got a lot of speed. Uh, he's really capable at fielding his position at second base, but he didn't have much power. Uh, he, I think he only had eight home runs coming into the year over his first 197 games in his first two seasons. Right now, he is second in the minor leagues with 22 homers in 81 games uh, between both AA Reading and AAA Lehigh Valley. Uh, we've had this discussion last year with Dylan Cousins and Reese Hoskins. Uh, the splits can sometimes be a little funky at Reading. They certainly were for Cousins, a little less so for Hoskins. Uh, but Kingery, w when he was still in Reading, the splits were pretty even. Uh, he had 18 homers at Double A, 10 of which were at home, eight of which were on the road. Uh, so his power is very real. You'll hear me talk to him about where that's come from this year. Uh, he had one. Let's say very powerful friend helped him out on that. That's a little bit of a tease. Um, top farm system. I, th I think this is one I want to discuss with you, Tyler. Um, I have the Phillies for this. They were actually won the top farm system staff vote last year for us, and we wrote them up last year for that um, because of the performances like Cousins, like Hoskins, um, you know, Nick Williams, J.P. Crawford, all, all the big names in that system. And they added to it with Mickey Moniak. Uh, right now, they rank third among farm systems with a collective 559 winning percentage. Uh, so they definitely put themselves on the short list with that. Uh, but then they just have such a good Class A Lakewood rotation this year. Sixto Sanchez uh, took what was a really strong season in GCL last year. is built on that at the full season level. Uh, Ranger Suarez, Jojo Romero, Adonis Medina, Nick Fonte, all putting up stellar numbers at Lakewood, some of those guys have actually made the jump to Class A advanced Clearwater. Um, so just from top to bottom, this system continues to look really strong. They're winning games on the field. They're producing talent. Nick Williams is now with the Phillies. Uh, wouldn't be wouldn't surprise anyone if Hoskins joins him soon. Uh, Crawford's turning it around after a really tough first half. Um, so they're my pick for top farm system. Tyler. Does that seem right to you, or is there some system that you think is more worthy of it? I think there are a couple other systems that you could make an argument for, and one of them you make a note of in Toolshed this week, which is the New York Yankees, and especially because of that double-A Trenton team, um, which has been packed with with talent all year, Jorge Mateo. Justice Sheffield right now is injured. He, he's out of action, but um, you know, Glaber Torres, who we saw at the beginning of the season before he was promoted, also injured now. So the injuries really take that team back, um, not to mention Dustin Fowler hurt, James Caprellian hurt, that was a very early season one for James. Um, the other system that has really caught my eye all year has been the Milwaukee Brewers. And the thing that's interesting about the Brewers that we've talked about from time to time is the top level talent in the Brewer system isn't the same 
as the top-level talent in a lot of other systems. The elite prospects with Milwaukee aren't necessarily elite prospects in other systems, but they just have so many very good prospects. Um, Lewis Brinson leads the way for that team in terms of the rankings from MLB Pipeline. He's the 13th-ranked overall prospect in baseball, but it just seems like behind him there's very little drop-off in the talent level of prospects. Corey Ray is number two on that list, Josh Hader, Luis Ortiz. But even as you go down the line, the guys who've had really good seasons, Mauricio Dubon was fantastic to start the year with AA Biloxi. He's with AAA Colorado Springs now. Brett Phillips is having a really good bounce-back season. He made his major league debut. Uh, We saw a really good start to the year from Brandon Woodruff, who has given up a little bit more in terms of offense against him as of recent weeks. But Ryan Cordell has had a good year with that AAA Colorado Springs team. Um, So that's one of the the very few others that I think enters in the conversation. Uh, But that Phillies team is tough to beat. Yeah, yeah. that's the one thing about Milby's that I, I think um, is always a little different and a little fun. You know, we get we get caught up in prospect lists, we get caught up in rankings, we all that kind of stuff. This is just who did the best on the field. Uh, and the Brewers, if we were going to do, and we'll do this this off season, and that's always fun. Our farm system rankings in the spring, um, the Brewers are certainly trending up. They were certainly trending up last winter. Uh, I think they're going to do that again. They are easily a top three system right now. Well, I should say easily top five. I haven't sat down and done my farm system rankings in a bit. But I'll, I'll say they're definitely top five right now. Um, the reason why I didn't put them here is just because for the farm system, Milby, we do take into account winning percentage, which teams are going to make the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. The Brewers right now, as good as the prospects have been this year, uh, they are 12th amongst the 30 farm systems in winning percentage at 507. Uh, that Colorado Springs team was one of the last cuts I had for best team. I went for Trenton uh, for all the reasons Tyler mentioned before. Uh, when he was talking about the Yankees. The Yankees were also last cut. That Those injuries just hurt. Uh, but the Yankees do lead uh, all minor league systems with a 597 winning percentage this year. Um, so even the, the injuries to the big names haven't really hurt them to this point. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's lots of ways we could go about this. This is not official by any means. This is just kind of a look for now. You know, if we were going to have the Milby vote today, who, you know, my vote as Toolshed would be, um, it, it would be for the Phillies, but I, I think we could. This is certainly a debate we'll be having for the rest of the season until we have to officially do this at the end of the year. And it's a fun one to have too, because there are arguments that you can make for a whole lot of different systems because of a whole lot of different guys. So keep an eye on that as we will. And uh, yeah, at the end of the season, all the dust will settle on that conversation at some point. Um, one of the teams that has had its highest level prospects really make an impact this year is the subject of Strike Three, and we touched on it a little bit in Strike One. Um, but the Toronto Blue Jays promoted to two of their top prospects, their number one overall prospect, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and their number five overall prospect, Bo Bichette, to Class A Advanced Dunedin from Class A Lansing, where they both started on fire this year. Uh, for Guerrero in 71 games, a 316, 409, 480 slash line, seven homers, 45 RBIs, 888 OPS. For Bo Bichette, a 384 average, 448 on base percentage, 623 slugging percentage. That's a 1071 OPS, 10 homers, 51 RBIs. Bobachet, his minor league career has been like to the point that it's almost not believable. Uh, in his career, he just in I think the last maybe 10 days dipped under a 400 average for his entire minor league career. He's now a 389 career hitter. Now, granted. It was only 22 games last year after he was drafted in the second round, but still, he's a freak, and we know the tools that Vlad Guerrero Jr. has. Um, This is a really, really exciting tandem for the Blue Jays. Yeah, the fact that they got moved, it was such a weird reaction that I went through because it was initially, I can't believe they did this. You know, do they know how old they are? Of course they know how old they are. They're they're their own prospects. They know them better than we do. Uh, But Bichette's only 19. Guerrero, like I said, is only 18. He's going to be 18 all this year, he, does, he turned 18 just before the season started on March 16th. Uh, and the fact that they're moving them not only just up a level to Class A advanced, which, you know, you talk to anybody, they're going to say the pitchers are, are better. Um, you know, they have better stuff. They, they're they not just trying to throw strikes. They're, they're trying to get you out. They're trying to do all these other things. Um, but it's also the FSL, which is a big test for hitters. Um, some of the things that they did in the Midwest League, not that the Midwest League is really – hitter extreme by any means but uh some of the things they did in the midwest league just aren't going to cut it in the fsl you know some of the long balls they hit uh are going to fall into outfielders gloves and all that kind of stuff um 
but just the, the things these two have done at their age levels, yeah, then you kind of come back around and think, well, yeah, they needed a new challenge. I mean, the whole point of player development is to get these guys better. Um, you know, the argument for keeping their, them all year in Lansing was to, you know, establish their career, get that foundation set, um, you know, get them confident going into their second off season, um, but also some consistency, not trying to throw too much at them, uh, you know, being in the same place, traveling with the same team, same coaches, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, if, if you're continuing to mash near 400, you know, going into late July, at that point, you're not learning anything new about yourself. You need to see those better breaking pitches, those guys who are going to throw a little harder uh, or are going to find the zone a little bit more consistently, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, just the wave of emotions that kind of happened with me for this. Uh, you know, it's understandable, you know, but the way the, these two guys uh, have attacked full season ball so far, they certainly merited this look. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen next with them. Uh, are they going to sink? Are they going to swim? I think no matter what, we're still going to be impressed with them going into the offseason. I can't imagine a scenario where, you know, Vlad Guerrero hits 200, uh, Bo Bichette has an OPS of 600, something like that, where we think, oh, well, I guess we have to rethink who we think they are. No, they're still going to be incredibly young for these levels. Uh, and they're still going to be top 100 prospects going in, into the offseason. Uh, and easily the cornerstones of this Blue Jays uh, farm system and yeah just how they respond to this will tell us a little bit about what they are but what we know them to be right now are just two dominant hitters uh who have more than earned their way uh higher up the chain this quickly and for blue jays fans looking for another piece of good news uh saw a headline just a little bit ago that anthony alford toronto's third ranked overall prospect is uh due to return from injury here pretty soon we haven't seen anthony alford on the field uh he was actually promoted to the big leagues and injured uh, a very short time later in fact um only four games at the major league level and there were uh only eight at bats among those four games so we haven't seen anthony alford on the field due to injury i think it was a hamstring for anthony alford was that right uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head, to be honest. Let me, let me, uh, no, the Hammett bone, that was right. Hammett bone. Uh, May 24th was the injury. He broke his Hammett bone and uh, is headed to High A Dunedin for a rehab assignment as of actually today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, so the uh, rehab start will be, or the rehab assignment will start this week for Anthony Alford. So more good news for Toronto Blue Jays fans. All right, it's enough for three strikes. The Futures game was where it was at this past weekend, and Sam was there and got a chance to catch up with Scott Kingery, who has put himself on the map in that very talented Philly system this year. He joins the show from Miami and Marlins Park coming up next. What's it like to be here so far? When did you get here? Um, got here yesterday around noon, and it's, you know, for, uh, right when we got here, it was a little bit crazy, you know. Yeah, right. Getting all our stuff, getting checked in. Um, but, I mean, you know, everything's been – you know, amazing, you know, treat been treated really well. You know, got to meet all the guys, all the talented guys here and um you know, now we just get to come and play some baseball, so it's it's gonna be a fun time. Yeah, and I'm sure you'll experience more of this as it goes on, but what's it like meeting all these guys kinda of behind closed doors? I mean what do you guys all talk about? You're coming from all different directions, different organizations. Um, yeah, I mean you know, the talent here is incredible and it's it's nice to just you know get to get to know some faces you hear about all the time and, and you know actually get to talk to them a little bit and um, you know this is the first time we've actually all been in the same room so it's right. you know everyone's just kind of you know meeting each other get, getting to know each other a little bit so we can uh, try to go out there and beat the world team. <laughs> Who are you looking most forward to going against on that world team in terms of pitching? Anyway? Um, to be honest, I haven't really looked at the roster, but you know, oh, yeah. I played against uh, Rafael Devers, the, the third baseman for uh, right. you know, Boston. I played against him pretty much the whole season. Yeah, he, uh, he got to me today and said, "Take it easy out there." <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. He's a funny guy. So I mean, I know a couple of those guys are there, so it's, it's going to be fun to play against them. Mm-hmm. What about in this room? Who you're looking most forward to actually playing with? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think just collectively as a group. Um, you know, I think it's it's cool to be able to, you know, be cheering each other on and being on the same team for once and, and instead of going against each other. So, you know, we all got the USA on our jerseys and um, it's going to be a good time going out there trying to, you know, 
beat some guys that are on, on the same teams as us. So it's, it's going to be a fun time. And obviously, it's been a really good season for you so far. Was this a goal at the beginning of the year, being in this game? Honestly, you know, I kind of forgot about this game until <laughs> until I got told about it and, you know, reminded about, like, hey, someone said, like, hey, you think you're going to go to the Futures game? And I had forgotten about it completely until, you know, up until that point. So, um I mean, because at the beginning of the season, I didn't think there was any shot, you know. Right. Um, obviously, I've had a good season so far, so it's, you know, obviously it's an honor to be here and just be even recognized to play in this game. <laughs> and, yeah, take me through that first half. Obviously, really good numbers of Reading. Everybody talks about the power. I know you've talked in the past about, you know, working on your uh, your back half and your swing, but um, when did it kind of all click? When did it feel like it, this type of season was even possible? Um... I mean, even in spring training a little bit, I was, you know, hitting for a lot more power than I normally did, and, you know, I had I had been working on the swing all off season. so for me, when it started to click in spring training, it just gave me a good feeling and some confidence going into the season that, you know, hey, you know, I know I'm playing out of hitter-friendly park, so we'll see what can happen, but, you know, I didn't expect it to be, you know, like this. Right, yeah, yeah. I imagine. So where did that direction come from to work on your swing and tinker with it? Did the Phillies kind of give you instruction to that, or was that all coming from you? No, I mean, um, you know, I went, I was working out with um, Aaron Judge in the offseason because we were in the same agency, and so mm-hmm. we, we, we got to talking a little bit, and um, and our agents were, you know, helping us out, and, and we just started talking, bouncing ideas off each other, and, you know, we started to uh, figure some stuff out, and I, I didn't know, I hadn't taken, like, BP on the field or, or hit against live pitching, you know, at, right. until spring training when I had fixed my swing. So, right. you know, I had no idea what it was going to be doing in my swing, and you know, it felt more powerful. But I had no idea because I wasn't hitting on a field or anything, so I couldn't see you know flight of the ball or or anything. So it was pretty much just a feeling and a, a feel of that swing, and that's what I had in the offseason, and then took into spring training. Yeah, as I say, you mentioned Judge. Is there anything the fact that it was the two of you, and then <laughs> I mean the I jumps think, you both had this year? I mean, I think Judge is, you know, obviously he's an enormous human being. Right. So anything he hits, you know, has a chance to go out. But sure. I mean, he he's just a great hitter, and you know, he's been hot all season. So um, I mean, I think we we both did learn some stuff and. And you know, tweak our swings and make them a little bit better. But um, I'm, maybe there's a correlation. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, take it if there is. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the hitters park at Reading. How much was that a motivation knowing you were going to be playing there, going from the FSL, which is a pitcher's league, to, to Reading, which is extreme hitters park? Um, I mean, I knew you know watching Reese Hoskins and, and Cousins. Obviously, those are two huge guys that always hit home runs. You know, I, I still, you know, I played there at the end of last season, so I knew that. Um, you know, it's a hitter-friendly park, and obviously, you know, you, you love hitting there, but at the same time, I still stick to my, like, line drive approach and, and try to keep that spray in the gaps and, and get my double stealing bases, and, you know, there's been a few that snuck out, you know, strictly because of right. the park, but most of the time, I'm, you know, just driving the ball, and, and they're getting out pretty easy, so for me, it's just, it's all about hitting line drives, and, ho- and some of them sneak out. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Reese. Now you get to play with him in Lehigh Valley. You're right next to Jacob Crawford. Mm-hmm. Dylan is still there. You know, Nick got his chance at the Philly. We played with you guys earlier. What is that lineup like? You know, top to bottom, playing in that lineup. I mean, that was when I came up to Double A at the end of last year. It was this pretty much the same lineup, mm-hmm. and you just see the talent on that lineup, and, and just the guys that are, you know, at some point going to be, you know, a big piece of the of the Phillies. And you know, you go up there and you just see. Um, obviously, Roman Quinn's hurt right now, but he's a you know a spark plug right up, right from the beginning of the lineup. And then you know you got Alfaro, Cousins, Hoskins, you know, and it's like right in the middle of the lineup. And you got JP Crawford hitting too. It's it's an unbelievable lineup, and it's a lot of fun to play with because that team, if someone gets a hit, you know, the next person wants to get a hit, and they kind of just feed off each other. And you right. know, it's it's a really fun group to play with. How much do you guys talk about being the future of Philly? I mean, so much attention is paid to you guys because you're all one step away, and you have, you have been this good to this point. I mean, we don't like to talk about it too much. I don't think a lot of us like to think too far ahead, but um, I think we all know that you know once we get up there, it's you know we're going to be a big part of what's going to happen and um you know as for now we're just trying to do everything we can to you know show the Phillies that we're ready to actually make that jump and um you know we're just going to focus on what we can do at at AAA right now and you mentioned hitting with JP but his defense is obviously really strong well it's short what's it like working with him as a double play yeah this is the uh, first time I've actually gotten you know a chance to play with him in multiple games up the middle 
but you know, I've I've always wanted to you know be able to get the opportunity to play with him because I know how you know um, how good defensively, and I just want to see you know what we could do up the middle, and you know maybe he makes a backhand play and throws it to me, and I, and I turn a quick double play. So you know he's solid out there, and, and I'd like to say my defense is pretty solid. So you know it's going to be a lot of fun playing up the middle. And I think your Twitter name is Jim, Scotty Jetpacks. Yeah. <laughs> now with all the powers, there any thought to change it, or are you um, always going to go be a speed guy first? I think it's. I mean, I got I got twenty something stolen bases right now. Too, right. Yeah. So I think I'm going to stick with Jetpacks because yeah. I don't th I don't think the. Uh, the stuff will translate, you know. I think as as I move up, I'm gonna get my fair share of home runs, but I think it'll be more of a you know line drive gap hitter. Did that come from you, or is that a nickname somebody gave you? Once? In college, you know, I ended up stealing home in one game, and someone came up to me and said, "Oh, it looks like you really turn on the jetpacks out there." And then everyone's like, "Oh, you should do that." You That's know? all so it takes sometimes. Kind of yeah. just rolled with it. There you yeah. go. going to be a little bit um, different feel for our conversation with Benjamin Hill this week because there's a minor league team that's honoring Bob Ross with a happy little bobblehead. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. <laughs> There's just somebody out there right now just cleaning their ears. Wait, <laughs> what? Like, what? I was trying saying? to listen so hard. He's and normally then... the loud, annoying one. I don't get it. Um, I get it. I get it. You were doing a Bob Ross Ross impersonation he um do you know uh asmr the it's yes. a, like a I do. autonomous sensory meridian response is what it stands for it's uh, like a tingling sensation on the skin that you get from certain which i said a sensor. team should do a asmr theme oh night my god that PA would be amazing like imagine whisper. that being your walk-up though like oh, your battery is supposed to be getting comfortable you're getting in the groove and you just get a shiver sent down your spine you go or you go like seven for seven with seven homers you would crush i don't know why you get seven at bats anyway you have to write that story <laughs> <laughs> um but that was that was bob ross to me i remember when i was like a kid they would have uh like bob ross would come on like late you couldn't sleep this is like in high school they'd have like reruns of bob ross and like the pbs affiliate here and i would turn bob ross on and be asleep in three seconds and the worlds of Bob Ross and minor league baseball collide this week when the famous painting instructor will be honored in bobblehead form by the Daytona Tortugas, and that kicks off Promo Watch with Benjamin Hill this week. Yeah, that is the lead item in my Promo Watch, which runs uh, every Tuesday during the season. Um, yeah, and I had to focus. I, I, I can't say that I personally watched too much Bob, Bob Ross as a kid or a, a teenager, but... Um, of course I knew who he is, and of course this is a unique bobblehead. The reason that Daytona is doing a Bob Ross bobblehead uh, is because he's a native of Daytona Beach. But the Tortugas have actually never given away a bobblehead before. So, you know, this is a pretty uh, distinguished start to their uh, bobblehead distribution career. And it's not just the bobblehead. I'm sure that'll be in high demand. There's 1,000 Bob Ross bobbleheads. He's wearing a Tortugas jersey. But they're doing a... Uh, well, they partnered with the Bob Ross Foundation, or I believe it's called Bob Ross Incorporated, but you know the company that handles the rights to Bob Ross, essentially. Um, they partnered with this company who is totally on board and are just doing a ton of things throughout the day. So in addition to the bobblehead, um, you know, it's a night game, but the morning of that game, they're having a happy little 5K run with um, you know huge canvases happy, set up along the route so people can run. stop and paint. There is a ticket oh, package cool. that includes a painting class with um, instructors wearing Bob Ross uh, wigs. I believe that uh, that painting class comes with a bobblehead. So for like 35 bucks, you can see a baseball game, get a coveted Bob Ross bobblehead, and take a painting class with an instructor wearing a Bob Ross wig. So um, you know this promotion has gotten a lot of attention. I must say that since this column appeared on Tuesday, you may have read about this promo uh, via another news outlet. I don't think I got my requisite hat tips, you know, H slash T in, in Twitter parlance, but people are seeing what I've done and then just rewriting what I've done and putting it elsewhere. But please know so much originates from me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, since you are the expert on this, I, there's one thing I wanted to ask if you know it based on the picture we have in the story. Is that like, is that an actual hair, not actual hair, but like, is that hair on the bobblehead, or is that just kind of? I don't believe. I could be wrong. I don't believe that's you know you know we have seen teams do quote unquote real hair bobbleheads right, or mustache. Yeah. I don't believe it's a quote unquote real hair bobblehead. But um, in talking to Ryan, and I've talked to Ryan so many times, the president of the Tortu Tortugas, Ryan Cure, Ryan Cure, 
I never say his name right. K-E-U-R. He's a great dude. I talk to him all the time. I'm sorry. You're on a first name basis. Uh, Yeah, we're on a first name basis. I don't even need to know his last name. But he said they have a Bob Ross um, Chia head in the office that should be uh, incorporated into the promo as well. And, you know, Bob Ross would make a pretty good Chia head. You know, just with the type Are of there hair he had. Chia bobblehead? There's got to be. There, there have, there have. I remember years and years ago. We'll have to go to the archives, but I think the River Dogs did one of their groundskeeper years ago, and uh, there might have been a few others in there. I feel like maybe Toledo did one at some point, but Chia bobbleheads have been a thing. Um, yeah, look at that, 2010, and that's uh, Charleston River Dogs. There you go. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't write that. Whoever wrote that probably just stole it from what I wrote. So um, <laughs> we have seen Chia heads before. There will not be a uh, Chia bobblehead uh, in Daytona on Saturday. But if this promotion takes off, you never know uh, what you what you might see down the line. So anyway, that's Saturday night, July the – what day is Saturday? 15th. The 15th. Thank 15th. you. 15th. Woo. So what, why – why this now? Was it just because I, I know he's a Daytona Beach native? Like I know why in Daytona, why this is happening there, um, but why now? It, do, it doesn't seem like there's an anniversary of his death or anything like that. No, it just you know, seemed like it was, the timing was right. It's so much. It's so funny because when I talk to team executives um, about the promos they do, uh, which I do every week at the very least for Promo Watch. There's almost always the same origin story, which was in the offseason, we were having a few drinks, and someone said this, wouldn't it be funny? And then we took that idea, tweaked it, and that's really the story behind so many things. So someone in the Tortugas front office had the idea that, hey, Bob Ross is from this town. We should do something for him, and that's really all it took. It wasn't some big, larger celebration of Bob Ross and the culture. It was just an idea among a front office that was having some drinks and brainstorming, and and one thing leads to another, and uh, and there you go. And in talking to Ryan, the team president of the Tortugas, he told me that um, you know the front office actually took a vote on whether to do Bob Ross as a bobblehead versus some other ideas they had, and the vote was 50-50. And their uh, broadcaster was on the road at the time, so they called him and had him uh, be the deciding vote, essentially the like the vice president, you know, casting that tie-breaking oh, vote, you know. And and uh, he said, no, we should do this. We should have the Bob Ross bobblehead. So um, you can you can owe it all to him. It's a lot. It's a lot for uh, a guy who. I wonder if you would have told Bob Ross this time 20 years ago, okay, at some point you're going to be honored by your hometown minor league baseball team with a bobblehead uh, in your likeness in which you're wearing a jersey of the Daytona Tortugas. Uh, I don't know what the reaction would have been for Bob Ross, but that is one of a ton of really Well, he good- was dead 20 years ago, Tyler. I'm sorry. <laughs> 25, 30. When did Bob Ross die? He died in 1995. 95? Holy smoke. So I was basically just He watching. was a young man. Uh, he did the show all the way through 94. I mean, a- Okay comparatively young man to die he died in 1995 at the age of 52 man 52 so i was just watching all these posthumous episodes of bob ross apparently when i was in high school falling asleep to them um there's a lot of good promos this week uh throughout the minor leagues and we'll talk about a few of them the Kane County Cougars on July 14th will be giving out a Cousin Eddie bobblehead from Christmas Vacation for their Christmas in July promo, and it is fantastic. And their tweet ends with, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, so that is outstanding. The uh, Charlotte Knights will become the Charlotte Pitmasters on July 15th. That's one of the teams that is changing into a, a food-related thing. We should also probably touch on the Rochester Plates at some point. Um, there is a talking Jason Hayward bobblehead. The Myrtle Beach Pelicans will be giving away. I remember that team in 2009. But there is a promo that, Ben, I want you to to touch on because you actually were able to touch on this on another podcast, and it's an interesting one that's going to be an entire weekend. The Hartford Yard Goats have been tied in since their inception with the Hartford Whalers, the former NHL team that moved in the mid-90s to Carolina where they became the Hurricanes. The Yard Goats, when they picked their, their logo and their colors, they decided to go for Royal Blue and Kelly Green, the former colors of the Hartford Whalers who have long since departed. But they're going to have an entire weekend dedicated to the former NHL occupants of the city of Hartford, the Hartford Whalers. And this is... It's interesting because, as you noted on a podcast through WNPR, which is Hartford's NPR station called The Second First Season, Jonathan McNichol doing a show about the Hartford Yard Goats and their debut season in the city of Hartford. Last year, of course, they played the entire year on the road. But you talked about how strange it is that a team is honoring not only a different team, but a different team in a different sport, and not just for a night, but for an entire weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, you said it. Um, and uh, in that podcast you mentioned, the second first season uh, done by uh, yeah Jonathan McNichol on NPR's uh, Hartford affiliate, it's a really well done podcast. And I was a guest on that show talking about um, you know more the larger industry perspective of why the you know, yard goats became the yard goats and the process behind that. But that episode delved in a lot to this very notion that in Hartford, the whalers just have a very elevated, um, you know, stature in the city's sports history. And uh, they're really uh, late, lamented, beloved, uh, um, just greatly missed in the town. And I think a lot of it is because the town hasn't had uh, one of the four major sports, you know, really before or since. So that was their thing. And when they lost it, it was kind of devastating. So pretty rare in any context to see a minor league team, you know, decades after the fact, referencing a defunct team in another sport in their logos and jerseys and their color schemes. But Hartford is a different case with the Whalers and how much that team means to the community. And now that professional sports is, you know, back and as prominent as it's been since the Whalers in the form of the double A yard goats. Um, it's almost like a prerequisite for the yard goats to honor uh, the Whalers history, especially given their color scheme. And this weekend it is uh, Whalers alumni weekend all weekend long. So the team's wearing these hockey themed jerseys and obviously Whalers alumni will be there, you know, signing autographs and doing uh, meet and greets and all the things that, uh, you know, celebrities do when they come to the ballpark. And the jerseys themselves look really cool. They look like actual hockey jerseys. Like it's got a set. Like they've got. It looks like it has the string. I don't know if that's that's probably just uh, an animation there, but um, yeah, I, I. That's one of those jerseys that I think I would really like. Coming from you know Western Massachusetts, an hour away from Hartford, it's more just the nostalgia of that team than anything. Uh, you know what was lost more than. Uh, or the idea that it was lost more than you know what the team actually was at its dying days. But, uh, yeah, this should be really cool for everybody in central Connecticut. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but it does seem that the Whalers are kind of like, you know, the, the ex-girlfriend. Yeah, they're the one that got away oh, for the city of Hartford. That's really what it seems like. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely – that's what it is. I mean, it's – you know, we used to be a – this is the thinking in the city. You know, it used to be a major – uh, sports town and now it's you know mostly UConn basketball which is great and you know the Hartford Wolfpack the AHL are there and now the Yard Goats are there so it's gone from something that was on the big stage to being uh, kind of a minor in con- college town but or a college sports town um, but yeah it's more about just the concept of what was uh, and what is not currently there rather than you know hey let's look at what the the Whalers actually were in those last couple of years, which was not a great draw, not a great team. And uh, yeah, moved on to Carolina. It's rare that we plug another podcast on a podcast, but if you want to check out the second first season from WNPR, it's great. It follows the Whalers. If you're kind of a novice to player development and the relationship between a minor league front office and a major league front office, there's a lot of great stuff. And Ben is featured heavily in a couple episodes talking about the yard goats and the, the logo design and the name and all the stuff that we've kind of covered about teams, but it's some really good stuff. Um, so you can check that out as well. Promo watch is up on the site right now, and we'll pivot to uh, another story out of the pioneer league, Ben's Western swing, which wrapped up, uh, a couple of weeks ago almost now and um, this is something that was entirely new to me the Missoula Osprey a Pioneer League team and an affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks they play in a ballpark that actually hosts Osprey who live like in a tower near the light standards in Missoula that's amazing I had no idea about this yeah, so the the Osprey, the Missoula Osprey in the Pioneer League, Class A uh, or not Class A, rookie level affiliate of the Diamondbacks, um, they boast that they are the only team in professional sports, you know, named after an animal which lives in its natural habitat at the ballpark, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, the ballpark, Agron. Agron Field at Alliance Park. It is an awkward name. Um, the Clark Fork River runs right behind uh, the ballpark. So that is an area in which uh, Osprey are prevalent because they um, their food source is fish from the river. And so when the ballpark was built, Osprey were around there. And um, at one point they were on um, you know electrical poles, which the power company does not like because that's a danger to the power supply as well as to the Osprey themselves. So when the ballpark was being built, they put up this huge man-made platform essentially to serve as an Osprey nest. And um, the Osprey 
live there every year. And uh, I'm not sure if they have names right now. You know, they, they come and go a little bit, but they're really remarkable birds. And I talked to Jody, uh, Judy Ellis, who um, has been with the team since its inception. Her husband, Mike, um, you know, is a co-owner as well. And their son, Matt, is the executive vice president. So that family is very prominent in Missoula. So I was talking to Judy about the birds. She loves them and, um, you know, knows a lot about them. And, you know, she was telling me that the osprey, you know, they mate for life. But when they migrate, uh, you know, during the cold weather months in Montana, they go to different places, but then can be counted on to come back to the same place uh, in the summer. And so they sort of uh, reunite every year. And so the same uh, osprey couple, you know, which then has chicks, you know, is, um, you know, comes to the ball, their, their um, ballpark nest every single year. It's pretty remarkable. And they're not phased by humans or crowds or even fireworks. So apparently it's no big deal for them to live, you know, right by a baseball stadium and have to deal with, with all that kind of stuff. And uh, the University of Montana has a project in which uh, not just this ballpark nest, but other nests in the area as well, in which they will take a cherry picker, go up to the top of the nest, uh, you know, put bands, you know, little rubber bands on the chicks and track them to, you know, to see how their health is. And the the premise behind that is that, uh, you know, there was a lot of mining in the area um, that uh, it polluted the Clark Fork River with runoff and mercury runoff. And then the fish, you know, Mercury ends up in the fish, and then the birds eat the fish, and then the birds aren't doing well because they're eating fish poisoned with mercury. So this big University of Montana project is basically tracking the overall health of the river by keeping track of the birds because if they're healthy and they don't have mercury and these toxins in their system, that means the fish are not ingesting the toxins, which means the toxins are not in the river. So it's all pretty cool stuff. Whew. It's all just Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about was, I mean, I'm, I've got Sam is wearing an osprey hat, which I gave him. Yes. Um, Tyler, nice. I'm not going to ever give you anything, but I'm going to give Sam <sighs> presents after okay. every trip. Okay. And I just realized now Very that the nice. osprey, I, I, you know, six seasons covering minor league baseball, never realized the osprey is holding a fish. Come on, yeah, Sam. The, in, in, How do you not know in this? The team, in the team's primary logo, yeah. Uh, and, and, literally live and in their BP hat, the uh, alternate logo on that is just the talon holding the fish. So there you go. Now you know. Well, the, what I wanted to ask, <laughs> how is kind of the, I mean, there's this obvious tie-in, like you said, like this is the only place where the animals are pretty much on site uh, and not as a gag, as just like a natural habitat. But what is the area? What were the fans like when you were there? How have they kind of taken to a name like this? Because it's not flashy or weird. There's nothing, you know, capitalized in the middle. It's not names squished together it's just a name of the thing that exists you know in the fly in the electrical pole outside the stadium so what it, what is this type of name have an effect on the team in the area and all that kind of stuff well it's been the team's name ever since 1999 the first year that when the team moved from lethbridge in alberta to um to missoula and uh you know as we find out all the time you know, most people don't really follow minor league baseball nationally. So, the, you know, I don't think fans are thinking, like, why don't we have one of these crazy names? Their team's the Osprey. Osprey live, at you know, in the region and at the ballpark, and it just makes sense. And I just think it's a natural name that uh, people, I want to say, maybe even take for granted a little bit. But it, there's a lot of pride in the Osprey, kind of, and a lot of interest in them. You know, these um, there are uh, cameras around Osprey some of the osprey nests in the area where you can watch live feeds and people kind of keep track of them and, you know, develop emotional attachments to the osprey living in the area. So it really makes sense for Missoula's baseball team to be the osprey and uh, a slight tangent, but a trivia question. I learned this on the trip. Um, you know, the Osprey have been affiliated with the Diamondbacks their entire existence, going back to their first season in Missoula in 1999. Before that, they were in Lethbridge, Canada. And in 1996, they changed their name to the Black Diamonds because they were now a Diamondbacks affiliate. And the 1996 Lethbridge Black Diamonds were the first team to ever play a game within the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. Stump your friends. Wow. What was the first team to ever play within the Arizona Diamondbacks organization? The answer is the 1996 Lethbridge Black Diamonds, who in 1999 moved to Missoula and became the Osprey. That is pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. The uh, story is up on the site right now on the road from Missoula where you can catch up on uh, that stuff, which is there's so many different little storylines and wrinkles and things that you find on these trips, Ben, that like otherwise none of us would have any idea about the minor leagues. It's one of the coolest things about Ben's trips on the road. Um, another one is coming up soon. When did you say the next one is? 
Well, I'm in a good rhythm right now. I've got the promo columns running Tuesday. I've got road trip stories running Friday, and then the blog. I'm getting everything caught up. So, uh, you know, I got things coming in on uh, different streams. So this Friday, I got a story from uh, Idaho Falls, and I've got stories coming from Ogden and Orem, or um, Salt Lake and Orem in the near future. And uh, on the blog right now, uh, I have Helena and Missoula written. They will be up any day now. Got the Great Falls designated eater post came up today featuring a, a Canadian classic hot dog, which is uh, gravy, cheese, curds, and fries on a hot dog. If you want to see that, a local TV reporter ate it, who also then put together a local news piece on me that aired in Great Falls, Montana. So everything is connected. It, it really is. Um, lots of Pioneer League trip coverage has already appeared. More will appear through the next two weeks. And then July 28th, I'll head out on the uh, next trip. The Pioneer League will be totally in the past, and I'll be heading out to uh, Binghamton and Hartford and Altoona and Reading and uh, Frederick and all these places in the Northeast. So, you know, it never stops until it does. It's coming up. You can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And Ben's on Twitter. He is at bensbiz. And uh, go watch some Bob Ross videos. I will. Uh, Please. I'm gonna no, I'm gonna watch some ASMR videos. There you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go even deeper. And Tyler, I want you to record ASMR videos, and I'll fall asleep to them every night. Wrapping up this episode of the show before the show coming up next. <laughs> I don't think anybody will be able to hear that. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Final segment of the 118th episode of the show before the show. Again, a big thanks to you for tuning in. Big thanks to Scotty Jetpacks and Benjamin Hill for joining the show this week. And um, with that, we'll pivot to our MILB.TV picks for the week as we open up the second half. Triple-A All-Star game uh, as of today. Actually, we're recording on Wednesday. Triple-A All-Star game today, so we're really over the hump with the the big-time full-season leagues. So, Sam, what are you watching as uh, leagues open the second half? Yeah, so uh... – I've got two games. They're both the same series. Um, one, you're going to have to kind of get too fast. Uh, it, this podcast will come out on Thursday. Uh, so w- on Thursday, uh, Mississippi is traveling to Pensacola. Uh, Mike Soroka is getting the start for the M Braves that night. Uh, you're definitely going to want to see that because Soroka pitched in the Futures game. He's the number four prospect in that really loaded uh, M Braves or in that really loaded Brave system. But uh, I remember talking on Sunday, or there was an interview with Kyle Tucker uh, that I was in on, and somebody asked him about you know his double, and he, which came off Soroka, and he said I got the first pitch, and I just realized how much it sank, and I had to sit back and realize what I was going up against. Uh, and Kyle Tucker is a really good hitter, uh, and it seemed like that was one of the better pitchers he's seen all season. Um, so Soroka will get his chance and he'll go up against another futures gamer on that Pensacola side, uh, in Nick Senzel, um, you know, top pick out of the Reds or top pick for the Reds last year, uh, was playing for that team U S, uh, team on Sunday in Miami, uh, having a really, really good first full season, just moved up to Pensacola, uh, before the futures game. Um, so that'll be a stellar matchup. If you don't get that game on Thursday, there will be another top 100 prospect pitching for the M Braves on Sunday in Luis Gohara. Uh, he's one and one with a 2.90 ERA this year, uh, acquired from the Mariner system, as some of you might, might remember. Uh, he's really taken a jump this year, starting to put things together. He started out the year in Class A Advanced Florida. Um, jumped to double a Mississippi had mostly been stuck in short season ball in the Mariners system. So the fact that he, he is doing this, this well at double a with the Braves is, is just another really exciting arm in that system. So, uh, you know, if you're an Atlanta fan, if you're just a fan of good baseball in general, uh, I should also mention Ronald Acuna is on that Mississippi team. He's already went deep since returning from the futures game. Uh, he'll probably be getting, getting some hacks either Thursday or Sunday, Thursday and Sunday, either way. Um, so a lot to watch in, in that series this upcoming weekend. Uh, what about for you, Tyler? I got a good one, Sam. I, got I know you one. said you were so You're excited ready? and you didn't tell me beforehand. You're ready for it? You're ready I'm, for this? I am ready. On Thursday, July 12th at 7.05 p.m. Eastern time in Lehigh Valley, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs will host the Rochester Red Wings, who will send to the mound – Big sexy Bartolo Colon oh. will take the hill for his first appearance in a Minnesota Twins organizational uniform, and uh, he'll take on a very talented Lehigh Valley team. What, what were you so disappointed for? It's big I, sexy, man. I, it is big sexy. 
It is big sexy. I don't know why I did Jorge Alfaro, J.P. Crawford, Reese Hoskins, Scotty Kingery, Dylan Cousins. (laughs) It's a loaded team he's going against. Are they going to be the – Big tests are big sexy. They're not going to be the plates that night, are they? No, no. August 10th is the plates. Uh, Because big sexy wearing just a shirt that says plates. I I don't even have to come up with a punchline. They really should have bumped it up. It's just whatever whatever is in your mind right now is the punchline. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm watching on Thursday, which uh, will be the day that this podcast arrives to all of you. And uh, with that, we will say farewell for episode number 118. Thanks for tuning in. Show before the show podcast. Get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon, and that'll do it for this week's episode. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.